Our Lord, we come this, this morning as, as weak men, dependent women. We come as those who have great sin and great need. I stand here as a man who is imperfect and weak. And so we need your help and your grace this morning. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? You are the one who lifts the brokenhearted. You are the one who breathes life into dead hearts. You are the one who can turn calloused hearts to be full of faith. And so this morning, as those who are needy, would you be our supply and cause our hearts to leap with and trust in the Son of God, Christ Jesus. He is our hope and he is our salvation. And it's in his name that we pray and ask for help this morning. Amen. What is it like to be blind? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever known someone who has lost their sight? Not many things come to mind that could be more awful, more dreadful than having no sight. Right? Even this week alone, I drove through wooded neighborhoods covered in trees and through city streets that were filled with vivid color and with detail. Right? I opened my Bible to read words that gave me truth and life and encouragement. I came home every day to see my three-month-old baby girl, her thighs growing ever fatter by the moment with all the milk that she's drinking. Right? We witnessed this past week on Sunday, the Eagles crush the Vikings. Right? I have to mention that from the pulpit because it's not every day that that happens. We, we witnessed that with our own eyes, right? And we couldn't imagine all the things that we could not witness or see in this world without our sight, right? It's, it's a part, without us even thinking about it, you looking at me right now, it's a part of your everyday life. You couldn't imagine not having your sight, right? So what is it like to be blind? What is it like to be blind and poor, right? It's, it's awful enough to have no sight, but what if you are poor as well? One preacher put it like this, I read this week, it is sad enough to be blind, but if a man that is blind is in possession of riches, there are 10,000 comforts which may help him to cheer up the darkness of his eyes and to alleviate the sadness of his heart. But to be both blind and poor, these were a combination of the sternest of evils. Right? If this 19th century preacher was here today, he'd say it like this. Listen, Stevie Wonder has got it bad, but he also has platinum records on his wall. Right? He has million-dollar homes. He has butlers and maids. Right? He has it bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. To be both blind and homeless, it's an unthinkable condition of life to be in. And you yourselves have perhaps seen through our city streets and have witnessed those who have no sight and also have no resource. As this chapter of Mark 10 closes with the story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, like, like an act in a film, it closes out one act leading to the next, right? Jesus is now leaving Jericho and now entering Jerusalem for his triumphal entry as we'll hear next week. And it will also be the last miracle that Jesus performs in Mark. Right? And so there's, there's a scene, an act closing. And if you've been with us 
for the past few months as we study the Gospel of Mark, you may remember that back in, uh, in Mark 8, Jesus has already actually healed a blind man. Right? He's already come in contact with a blind man. And since then, we've been seeing this connection between that blind man of, uh, of Mark 8 and the 12 disciples, right? And how they are also beginning to have their own blindness removed to see who Jesus is. Though extremely slowly and tripping over themselves as they are being uncovered in their eyes to see Jesus. And so with chapter 8 of Mark and the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, and today at the end of chapter 10 with the blind man at Jericho, it seems that this section has been bookended with these two blind men in their physical sight. And in the middle, sandwiched in the middle, are these 12 disciples who are blind in their spiritual, their spiritual eyes. We see physical blindness used. We've seen it used sort of as a, a metaphor for spiritual blindness. Physical blindness as a metaphor for our spiritual blindness. A spiritual blindness that cannot see Jesus clearly as the Son of God and what that means for us. And so in this story today of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, Mark wants to show us a picture of our own blindness, our own poverty. That though we are able to see, right? though you see me, though we look out into the world and see with our physical eyes, it deceives us to make us think that we actually have perfect vision, that we have 20-20 vision. But Mark will beautifully and ironically show us this morning that this blind beggar, this blind beggar who cannot see with his physical eyes, sees more clearly than those with two good eyes. And through Bartimaeus, we will indeed witness the blind leading the blind. So here's what I want us to hear today. That Jesus saves blind beggars who place their faith in him. Jesus saves blind beggars who place their faith in him. Okay, so who was Bartimaeus? Who was this man? The text tells us that he's a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. If you take the train to work in the city on a Monday morning and you go into suburban station, Bartimaeus is the man sitting, holding up a cardboard box with a tin can in his hand asking for money. Right? People knew him. He was there every day. Some people gave him money. Some people gave him food. Some people ignored him. Some people felt guilty in their own heart as they walked past him. Some people mocked him. But everyone knew Bartimaeus, the one who sits on the roadside at the city gates each day. And if you look back, if you look back even at the miracles of Jesus, Bartimaeus is actually the only one that is mentioned by Mark by name who has been healed. And he even mentions his dad's name. Right, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus means that he's the son of Timaeus, and he even mentions his dad's name. It's his, his mention of his father is almost as if people in Jericho know who his dad is. Right, he's a man of reputation. But his son Bartimaeus, he's nothing. He's sitting on the roadside as a beggar pleading for mercy from others. And so as you read in verses 46 and 47, it actually seems that Bartimaeus believes in his poverty, in his blindness, that Jesus can offer him relief and that Jesus can offer him mercy. 
But you've got to wonder, where did Bartimaeus get this trust in Jesus? Why does he trust that Jesus can actually do this? Right? Many in Jesus' ministry saw and they believed because they saw and they witnessed what Jesus has done. But Bartimaeus cannot see. He's blind. He hasn't seen any of it. He couldn't have been there because he can't travel. He's blind. He has no resources. He's poor. Then how has he come to believe? Verse 47 gives us a clue. It says that he heard of one Jesus. That he heard. Jericho is far from Nazareth. It's not close by, but we have already seen that Jesus' reputation as one who heals has spread far and wide across this land. As Bartimaeus sits on the roadside by the city gates day after day, right, he can hear people talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. He hears whispers, and perhaps he would ask them to tell him more about Jesus and ask them, To tell him stories of him raising the dead and healing the leper. And won't you know it, one day as he talks with them, he hears that Jesus has healed a blind man. We've heard it a few weeks ago, that Jesus healed a blind man. Can you imagine the hope that builds in his heart? That uncontainable feeling of hope When Bartimaeus hears this, and with a quiet but a hopeful whisper to himself, he says, maybe I can have hope to believe that I can be healed as well. Perhaps as the days and weeks and months go by, recounting in his mind the story of Jesus healing the blind man and imagining that he too may see when a day goes by when his spirit is crushed when he receives no money, when he is weak and spit at and mocked at, perhaps he recalls that possibility of Jesus passing him by and healing him, the blind man, as well. Until one day, on this day, he is actually sitting at his usual spot, begging for money, begging for help, and he hears a rumble. He hears a crowd approaching, and his senses are heightened, And he asks someone who passes by, what is going on? What is all this commotion about? What is all of this about? And the passerby answers, don't you know? Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And while this is just an intriguing event for every other person, for this blind beggar who has nothing, his entire life could change because Jesus is passing by. Imagine you know of this person who has come and can give you sight. You've already heard what he's done for one blind man, and all this time you have not lacked in believing, you've just lacked an opportunity, and now the opportunity is possible. Jesus is right around the corner. And so let's read again from verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming 
And now he has to get his attention. But as he does so, do you notice how he addresses Jesus? Do you notice the the words that he actually uses to call Jesus? He says, Jesus, what? Son of David. Jesus, son of David. Jesus is the son of Joseph, right? But Bartimaeus calls him the son of David. Why is this significant? Because these words have not yet been uttered in Mark yet. And it's actually hearkening back to 2 Samuel 7 as the messianic title that God promises to David for the one who will come. The son of David is the son of God. It is the Messiah, the Christ who will come to rescue. Only the disciples, only recently, have slowly come to see this. And here, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, makes this statement of who Jesus actually is in this cry. Not only does he believe and trust that Jesus can heal his blindness, but it seems that Bartimaeus actually believes that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah that Jordan read about for our call to worship in Isaiah 35, the one where it says God will strengthen hands and strengthen and make firm the feeble knees. The one who says to those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, your God will come and save you. And who says what in Isaiah 35, 5? The one who will open the blind eyes. As Bartimaeus has heard of Jesus healing the sick, the lame, the deaf, and blind, has this blind man been given spiritual sight to know and believe in this Jesus as the Christ? This pronouncement by this man is stunning. And so Jesus is passing by and Bartimaeus has one shot of getting his attention. Jesus is heading out of Jericho. He's leaving town and he has to catch him before he leaves the city. And so he shouts hopefully into the crowd with a loud cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus has a need and he believes that Jesus is the supply for that need. Bartimaeus has a real need, his blindness, and he believes that Jesus is the supply for that real need. He believes that he has nothing to bring to the table. He is poor and blind and needy, no power, no ability, no capability to save or rescue himself. And so with that shout, he boldly and desperately acknowledges his weakness and his need. Right? And here's where we can... begin to really distinguish between Bartimaeus and and many of us. It's where we even can see a distinction between Bartimaeus, the, the poor blind beggar, and as we've read a few weeks ago, the rich young ruler. Right? If there is a need, we know that, you know, it's we have resources and we have the ability. We we have a need, we we can be the supply as well. Right? As one preacher said, we have learned cause and effect in this world in 21st century America. If we work hard, we make good money. If we have the right friends and make the right connections, we get the good jobs and make the promotions. If we make the right investments, we'll be wealthy. If we save our money, we'll have a good retirement. But see this man, Bartimaeus. He has come to the point where he has a need but absolutely no chance to supply that need. He has no option 
He is weak, unable, poor, needy, and utterly blind. And with no exaggeration or no overstatement, Jesus is the only one who can make this broken and ruined man whole. This is the beginning, friends, of the Christian life in Christ. To not just have a so-so, half-baked impression of our need, but to really see the depths, the ruin, the awfulness of our depravity and fallenness, our lostness, our brokenness as sinners. This is the beginning of what it means to put your faith in Christ. And when we speak of our faith, we speak of both our utter need for rescue and of how Christ has supplied that need fully, completely, alone, without us. It's how the late John Stada, an old preacher, has said before, between the reality of who I was, the reality of who I was, and the ideal of who I was supposed to be, there was this great gulf. And what brought me to Christ was the sense of defeat, knowing that I could not cross this gulf. The sense of defeat combined with the astonishing news that the Christ, the Son of David, offered to me to meet the very needs of which I was conscious. Dear brother, dear sister, trust that Christ is the supply for your need this morning. Do you have a need? He can be our supply. For Bartimaeus, this is most seen in his perseverance for mercy from Jesus. After Bartimaeus shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It says in verse 48, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Right? Bartimaeus cries out once to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's rebuked by the crowd. They tell him to shut it. Right? To hush. They are annoyed by this man's request to Jesus. Does he even know who Jesus is? They must be thinking. Because they are on this parade with Jesus because it's the week before Passover. Right? There's, there's a great event that's about to happen. It's a combination, Passover, of every, every holiday you can think of wrapped up together in one. And so there's, there's festivity and excitement. And Jesus is leading the procession into Jerusalem. And he doesn't have time for blind beggars. But oh, if this crowd could see rightly, they would have stopped for Bartimaeus. They would have stopped to bring this man who was crying out for mercy before Jesus. But instead... He is harshly rebuked by the crowd. And so what does desperate Bartimaeus do? It says, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you hear his desperation? He doesn't care what this crowd says. And almost in rebellion, he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, please. You are my only hope. You are my only chance at sight and life. Have mercy on me. You are my chance to see. Please, please, son of David, have mercy on me. With every word, with every syllable, with every ounce of his power and might, with his own blood put into every word that he speaks, he says, O son of David, have mercy on me. And as the Great crowd moves forward and rebukes Bartimaeus. 
And as this lone voice of Bartimaeus gets drowned out in the loud noise of the crowd, the crowd comes to a screeching halt. Verse 49, it says, And Jesus stopped. And Jesus stopped. This crowd who rebuked and wanted to move on comes to a screeching halt. Why? Because Jesus has stopped. This poor, powerless man has literally stopped Jesus in his tracks. Why would Jesus stop for him? The crowds are scratching their heads and the disciples for once have actually nothing to say. Especially usually chatty Peter. But the crowds, they are wondering, why has Jesus stopped? This man who is a nobody. This man whom the entire crowd has cast away, Jesus stops. And on top of that, you have to think of what Jesus is walking towards. But Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Why? To die. To fulfill his destiny at the cross. Isn't his mind racing? Isn't his own heart anxious and worrisome and sorrowful for what awaits him? If Jesus didn't stop this time, we would understand. We would understand if he kept moving. But Jesus stops. And Bartimaeus' fate hangs on these next few moments. Among the clamoring crowd, the piercing cry of this weak and desperate man grabs the attention of Jesus and stops. And now the Savior, think about this, the Savior now can see Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus cannot see him. But his Savior sees Bartimaeus. And as he lays there, a pathetic sight to the crowd, but a sight of beautiful and earnest faith in Jesus You've got to imagine all of heaven is perhaps looking down at this moment now. Right? Imagine in this, in this presidential season. Imagine the inauguration is about to come and the president-elect is along with the motorcade and heading to the inauguration. But he pulls over and he stops and approaches a blind beggar. All of the press, after he leaves that scene, would come and ask this blind beggar, what's so special about you that the president has stopped for you? And so all of heaven must be looking down and wondering, who is this man that Jesus has stopped for? And this text is asking us this morning, will this Jesus who has stopped for Bartimaeus stop also for us, will he notice our desperate cry and our position and our posture and desperate hope of him? Verse 49 goes on to say, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. You've got to love this, this crowd, <laughs> right? Because as you, as you move on to say, they, they try to act like they've actually been with Bartimaeus the whole time. Right? They, they try to act like they're not the ones who just told him to sit down and shut up. Because it goes on and it says, what? It says, as Jesus called him, told this crowd to call him, it says that this crowd said, hey, Bartimaeus, buddy, take heart. Take heart, get up. Jesus is calling you, bro. You, you, what, are you, what are you not seeing? You've got to realize that Jesus is here. They're like the people who, right, a man who is, trying to make it to the NBA, has, has been teased and scolded for his, 
for his efforts and finally makes it to the NBA. And all those who scolded him are all of a sudden coming out of the woodworks to say, we were with you the whole time. You've got it. This is your time to shine, man. This crowd tries to lead him to Jesus, but he pushes them aside, right? He doesn't need this crowd. The master, Jesus, the Messiah, has called for him. He doesn't need their assistance. And so what does Bartimaeus do? Verse 50 says, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus just had to say the words, come, and he sprang up. And picture this scene, this this blind man who sees only darkness and night is now standing face to face, eye to eye with the one who is the light of the world who has come full of brightness. And what does Bartimaeus leave behind as he rises? It says that he leaves behind, he throws off his cloak. For a homeless and poor man, your cloak is everything. right? It's what you use at night to keep you warm and keep you from freezing. It's what you lay on the ground to collect money. It It is everything you have. And it's what he puts on the ground as Jesus calls him. It's what he lays on the ground. And it's the only thing that he has on his, other than the clothes on his back, it is the only thing to his name. And he throws it off. The cloak displays all that he had, his security and his possession. And he casts it away to follow Jesus. And we think back again to the rich young ruler who had everything and could not give it up. And this poor blind beggar gives up everything if but just a cloak to rise and to come to Jesus. So Jesus calls Bartimaeus. He leaves his cloak and now stands before Jesus. And Jesus asks him a simple, straightforward question in verse 51. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And the crowd must be wondering, listen, Jesus, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. He's blind. He wants to be healed. Just heal him and let's move on. But Jesus is not concerned with simply healing Bartimaeus of his blindness. He he seeks something more. He's not a genie in a lamp that you rub and you ask a request and he grants it. He's not on this healing parade or carnival where anyone who comes, attract the crowds and I'll heal you. No, he is after real and earnest faith. Jesus wants to speak with Bartimaeus, this blind beggar. Right? It's obvious. Bartimaeus' need was clear. But in whom and in what was his faith? And and we've seen Jesus do this many times with people in the Gospels, have these conversations, ask questions with the woman at the well, with With the disciples, who do you say that I am? And so he presses, he asks questions. This is why we confess our sins and why we confess our faith and why we tell one another, this is what I believe because for Jesus, what you believe and who you believe in is important. So for for Jesus, faith was not this loose, vague belief or this vague understanding. It was not the watered-down faith that has become a mere cultural understanding for many professing Christians, like it was for me. Like one that says with vague pep talks, 
Right? Just be blessed or have faith it'll work out. Have faith in, in who? Have faith in what? Hear me. The Christian faith is distinctive. Right? It is particular. It is to put your hope and trust and life into a particular person and what he's done. And Jesus' question to Bartimaeus is intended to solidify, to affirm that Bartimaeus' trust is not in himself or anything else, but that it is holy in Jesus and his ability to dispense mercy and grace and restoration to this broken, needy, blind man who cannot see on his own. And how does Jesus, how does Bartimaeus respond to Jesus' question? He responds like this, Rabbi, Master, let me recover my sight. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. When two of the disciples, James and John, were asked the same question from Jesus just a few weeks ago, right? If you recall, this same exact question was asked to James and John, these two disciples who have been walking with Jesus. But what's their response? To sit, right, with Jesus on his left and right in glory. To have a name for themselves. But here is the humble response of Bartimaeus. Not for wealth or for power or for success, but only that he might see. And there is no question in the mind of Bartimaeus that Jesus is able to be the one to restore his sight and his vision. His response to Jesus though but a few words, is an acknowledgement that Jesus is the only one who can make the blind see to receive mercy and grace to be restored. It's an acknowledgement that it's not a question of whether he can, but the, op- the, the ability to restore sight rests in this Jesus. He is the one who can do it. And as soon as Bartimaeus can utter the request to see Jesus, what? Gives him sight. It says in verse 52, And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. As we've seen in the blind man in chapter 8, he didn't just see progressively. right? In this, in this instance, he actually sees immediately, in an instance. He goes from blindness to sight. He, he saw shapes and, and textures and faces and colors. And who but the Messiah himself standing right before him as he gains vision. Could you imagine the the joy that rushes through him in this moment? A blind man who has not been able to see now sees and he sees Jesus standing before him. This man who is utterly blind in one moment with full vision the next. And once he is healed, once he is given sight, of course he will now go to his father and to his mother and to his brother and his sister and his friends and tell them, look, I can see. Of course, he would go and travel the great sights of the world that he could never lay his darkened eyes upon before this day. He must surely go and watch the sunset and the moon rise. But no, he doesn't do any of that. Jesus even tells him, go your way, be on your way. And it goes on to say, And Bartimaeus immediately recovered his sight and followed him, Jesus, on the way. 
Did you see that? There is a new way for Bartimaeus now. Jesus calls him to go on his way. And where does Bartimaeus go? He goes along Jesus' way because that is his new way. He would not leave the one from whom he had received such mercy and received sight to see. What a way to end the story of this man in Scripture who was once blind but now who sees if his tombstone could read and then Bartimaeus followed Jesus on his way. What a way to end his story in the Scriptures that he followed Jesus when he received his sight. This man who is still wearing the clothes of a beggar as he does so now walks behind Jesus with his steps firm, with his eyes now glistening. As people see him walking by, they ask, who is this beggar humming songs of joy and thanksgiving? Another says, isn't that Bartimaeus, the blind beggar? How is he... Who is this man who, with such joy, who can now see, follows Jesus? Oh, that this story might be written for us in our experiences over and over again. It's said of St. Augustine of the 4th century that he lived with a prostitute before his conversion. And that after he was wonderfully saved, he was walking down the road and from a balcony, this woman, this prostitute, yells out to St. Augustine. He hears him, but he, he turns away and keeps his head forward and keeps walking. She calls out again, he keeps walking. And finally, she calls out, Augustine, it is, it is I! To which Augustine responds and says, I know, but it is not I. He has been changed, he's been converted. That God here would turn the proud. That God here at Seven Mile Road would turn the drunkard, the abuser, the liar, the angry, the self-righteous, the promiscuous, the sinner, the envious, the, the blind and poor beggar into whom Jesus Christ can make whole and new by his mercy and grace. That that might be the story of us where he takes you from the roadside being a blind beggar to now on the straight path along the way with full sight and life in him. So dear brother, dear sister, Jesus saves blind beggars who place their faith in him. If you today sit here thinking that you are unqualified to be here, here, that is the very qualification that you need to be here. We all stand before one another this day. We have all desperate need of Christ, and he has the full supply for our needs this morning, right now. So Bartimaeus, as we consider, did not know if Jesus would pass him by, but the opportunity finally came to him. He finally had the opportunity, and so here today, if you do not know, Jesus, here the opportunity is before you. There's no level of spiritual fitness that you can acquire to come before him to make you qualified. And to feel that great gulf between who you are and who you should be is to feel your need of Jesus. And he calls you to place your faith in him. 
to put away your accolades, to put away your good works, to put away your wealth and your riches and all, of, all that makes you proud, all that makes us proud. He comes for the needy and for those who realize that all that, try to bring, all that we try to bring before God is worthless. And so would you come to Jesus with all of your weakness, with all of your sin, and plead instead for the merits of Christ for your salvation this morning. And if you are here and you know Jesus, if you've walked with him, right, if you've put your hope in Jesus, this day, this morning, are you full of zeal in following Jesus? Have you become dull and slow to realize the gravity of your sin and the need for Jesus and the need to confess? Or perhaps you've become too overwhelmed by your sin that you allow it to keep you from Jesus. Would you as well cling to Jesus with your small faith? Jesus this morning stands ready to give you fresh mercy and fresh grace. And so would you be given spiritual eyes as well to see Jesus today, today as your supply for your need? I'll end with just one last account of a, of a lady who has wrote many hymns and some that we sing here at Seven Mile Road. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Perhaps you know her name. This woman has written, written over 8,000 hymns, right? Wrecked and, and deeply transformed by what Jesus has done for her. And she was born blind. Shortly after birth, she became blind. And so these words of hers have been, over the years, deeply consoling and encouraging for my heart as I've considered my faith. Being blind was not easy for her. And yet these words of her might give us some comfort this morning to remind us of the great treasure that we have in Christ. She has said, if I had a choice, if I had a choice, I would still choose to have remained blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. To see Jesus, to see the brilliance of who he is in all of his beauty and glory and mercy and grace, where one who was even blind could see him, is the most beautiful, the most wonderful thing that we could ever lay our eyes upon. And so this morning, hear this, that Jesus saves blind beggars like us who place our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord, this morning we come, some who have been blinded all of our lives, some who have seen and still struggle to see, some who understand little, are trying to understand. And so this morning, we really can see, say that at some level, we are the blind leading the blind. I am the blind leading the blind. We, as we sing and we remind each other of God's word, we are beggars, as it's been said, telling other beggars where to receive bread. And so this morning, we come as those who have great need we are blind, we are impoverished, we are homeless. And there's nothing that can give us sight. There's no home that we could go to that gives us back our sense of homeness. But Christ this morning, 
provides the supply for our every need. And news of this gives us great hope. And so would you help our eyes to see this morning that Christ Jesus has come into the world to hear our cry for mercy, our acknowledgement of our sin and our need. And he can, in an instant, give us mercy and salvation and grace, even this morning. So help us to believe, help us to see this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we remember the work, the great work of God in saving sinners and turning those who have been blind to now see the lost, now found, we are reminded through this table of this great work. Each week we have the great joy of celebrating the Lord's table together, where those sinners of whom we are among, who do not belong, are invited by God in His grace and mercy to come to Him, where we are invited to join in a feast and celebrating the death, the resurrection, the body, the blood of Christ given for our sake as our ransom. And again, as we've been reminded in the text today, it's not a table for perfect people, but it is a table for those who are imperfect, who sense their need of Jesus. And so this morning, the bread, as we see, represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The blood represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sake. If you've trusted in Christ, if you've taken baptism and put, put your full hope in Christ, would you come forward and receive the body and blood of Christ this morning? And if you sit here today who don't know Jesus, listen, to come forward and to take the bread and the wine would be meaningless because you have not first taken Christ. And so don't come forward, but instead receive the invitation of Christ to receive him and take him and trust in him that you might see and believe in him this morning. I'll give you a moment to ready your hearts to come before the table this morning. And as we come, 